I could have some volunteers just to bring this whiteboard up on the stage for me. I don't have a PowerPoint today. I'm going to do a little bit of hands-on. And part of that is because I found out quite late yesterday that I was preaching today. <laughs> My husband had his message already and um, change of gears. Let me just grab my notes here. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that very much. So good. Wow. Who's ready to have an awesome time in the Word of God? Do you find the Word of God exciting? Oh, me too. There's nothing like this in all the earth. Hey, <laughs> the words of God. Thank you, gents. Really appreciate that. Okay, we're going to open in prayer and get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be uh, in your word, learning from you, um, uh, learning from your spirit. And Lord, we just ask today that you would anoint me. My words can come out in a way that people can understand them. Father, that it would be your words and not uh, from my mind, but from the Holy Spirit. And that you would anoint each listener to hear and receive, to grow and to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, today I'm talking about the fullness of God for the fullness of times. The fullness of God for the fullness of times. Okay, do you have your Bibles? Because if you do, you'll get to use them a lot. <laughs> We're actually going to start in the um, book of Ephesians. So turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, we're just sort of going to, there's a lot in here, but I, I'm just going to unpack sort of from verse 9 to 14 and uh, sort of have a look at a few things as we go through this. Okay, so Paul is talking uh, about Jesus and his glorious gospel and he says this, Ephesians 1 verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, there's my phrase that makes up part of my title, in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. All right, let's put a pause there. Okay, the dispensation, that is talking about a period of time, a dispensation, just like you had the time leading up to Noah. You had the time of Abraham, the dispensations, the various ones. You had the time of the law, the dispensation of the law, we are currently in the dispensation of grace. So that means a period of time where God functions in a certain way towards mankind. Okay. Now, this is saying that there's another dispensation coming called the fullness of the times. Now, that's an interesting expression, isn't it? We don't kind of talk like that. But it's absolutely amazing. There is coming... A time 
when there's a fullness of times, of times past, of prophecies past, of things to come, and it's full, all those different times, the times of the Gentiles are full, something is going to happen then. And it says that he, meaning Jesus, will gather together in one all things that are in Christ, both in heaven and on earth. Now, I have family in heaven. I know many of you have family in heaven. I'm excited to see them again. This is talking about a day when those of us on earth will be gathered together with those in heaven who are in Christ and will be made one. The whole family's coming home. Now, you know what big family do's are like, right? <laughs> now, this makes me smile because in heaven, our family will all get along. Won't that be amazing? You won't have any misunderstandings. The whole family will be together and it will be the most joyous occasion. What a way for Paul to open this letter. By the way, there's something coming called the fullness of the times. And when it comes, there's going to be a great gathering together of everybody who's in Christ. Those who have already gone on before, those who are on earth now, we are going to be together. Now, I know I've got my mom and my dad and my nana and I believe I even have a brother I haven't met up there. Um, so exciting. So exciting. But most exciting is that we will all be in Christ. Ah, oh, that moment when we see Jesus face to face. How awesome will that be? So this is what he's starting us about, this fullness of the times. Now, let's have a look at verse 11 together. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. All right, what's some kind of a seal you can think of in our modern society? If something was sealed, what would it look like? <laughs> There's lots of different ways to seal now. We have, we have wax seals, but we have things like, you know, you can have, um, is it, when you have your meat, is it vac-sealed, vac is that what they call it? You know, we've got all kinds of ways of sealing things now, haven't we? Right? But how would you seal a person? Well, this is what he's saying. Each of us who have received the gospel and have believed the gospel are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So is it a seal we can see? No. This is in another realm, isn't it? But guess who can see it? Our Father. I wonder if our enemy can also see it. One of them sealed ones. They think God's great. 
Like, Satan, I don't know what you were ever thinking, why you ever wanted to leave the family of God. He is great. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, this is where it gets interesting, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. I'm going to unpack this a little bit. Okay, that word there, guarantee, let me read it to you. Sorry, I've got all these notes for myself. Here we go. Okay. So guarantee there is a business term that speaks of earnest money, a part of the purchase price paid in advance as a down payment. Now, that's something we're all familiar with, right? There's a down payment, a deposit, whatever, and then the rest comes later. So it says it is the first instalment which guarantees full possession when the whole is paid later. So it could be called sometimes caution money, a pledge, a deposit, or a guarantee. So it describes the Holy Spirit as the pledge of our future joys and bliss in heaven. The Holy Spirit gives us a foretaste or guarantee of the things to come. Isn't that amazing? So not only are we sealed with the Holy Spirit, he is the guarantee that what God has said will fully come about. Now, I want to take this another step further. Who loves a story? I know I do. Okay, go to Luke chapter 10, if you will, or you can just listen, whichever you like. I'm going to read a really familiar passage of scripture, which is what many people know as the Good Samaritan. Okay, but I want to bring out hopefully something today that maybe you haven't seen before. That is, well, for me, when the Lord was showing me this last night, I was pretty excited. Okay, so we're going to start Luke 10, 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay. Keep that in mind, the state of this man. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So I'm going to just leave it there because I want to bring out not about the three different characters who saw the plight of this man. I want to focus only on the man and the good Samaritan. The first thing I want to point out about the man, it says he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
The scripture tells us there is a thief who's after all of us, a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that we are dead in our sins until we meet Jesus. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And that was the state of this person. Now, verse 33, in my Bible, it says, but a certain Samaritan, and it has a capital there. This is talking about a specific person. The others were general. You know, well, no, it does say certain priest and a Levite. But this was a certain Samaritan who saw what was happening to a man who was unable to help himself, who was unable to rescue himself. And he had compassion. This scripture is referring to Jesus Christ, the good Samaritan who came and had compassion on a world that was dying and dead in sins so that he might revive them. And look what it says. He went to him. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He left the glories of heaven and he went and came to us. And he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, I want you to take notice of that, the Samaritan departed. He took out two denarii. I know it sounds silly, but can you say two for me? Right. Two denarii. Oh, I'm coming up in the world. Here we go. Two. Just going to emphasize this for a minute. Okay. And he gives it to the innkeeper. And he says to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. When I come again. When I come again. Now, isn't this an interesting story? Because this Samaritan was just on his own way. But he's changed his entire plans to meet the needs of somebody that he really didn't need to have anything to do with. And not only that, he's taken such good care of him, he's made provision for his future, and he's going to come again for a wounded man that he didn't even know. Isn't that incredible? You know what that is? That's love. That's way more than the second mile, and that's what God did for us. We didn't even know him. We were strangers, the Bible says, without a covenant and without God. But he knew us. He came. He took care of us. He rescued us. He provided for our salvation. He paid the price. And then he says, I'll come again. All right. Gives him two denarii and then says, I will come again. Oh. G-A-I-N. Wow. I better... I hope you can read that online. Sorry. All right. I will come again. Two denarii, I will come again. Okay. And when I come again, 
I will repay you. Now, remember what we just read. The Holy Spirit was the down payment. Until when? The purchase possessioned was fully redeemed. And when does that happen? Well, when he comes again. <laughs> when does he make the final payment? When he returns to gather everybody into one. So the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment, as a seal, as a guarantee that someone's coming back for us and going to make everything complete. Wow. This is all through Scripture. It's really, really amazing. Um, okay, Galatians 4.4 4. It says, when the fullness of the time, singular, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, born under the law. So there was a certain point when that time was full, now it's time for my son. When was that time? When was that time full? We're going to have a look at that. And we're going to have a look at that actually by going to another story in the, in the Gospels. So Matthew 15, we're going to look at when was the fullness of the first time because it might help us to understand when the fullness of the times is. Okay, so Matthew 15 and verse 32. All right, are you ready to buckle in? Because this gets good. Okay, Matthew 15, 32 says, the heading is feeding the 4,000. Now, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, sorry, backing up. Let's actually read from verse 29. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up to the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed or um, crippled, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lamed walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So this has all just happened. There's a really cool song. I can't remember who wrote it. But the story of the song is that this man was walking by and he saw someone come running past him in a massive hurry. And, and he stops him and he says, what's the hurry? Where are you going in such a hurry? And he goes, oh, I was running to catch the crippled man. Did he come past this way? He's like, what? He said, oh, yes, he was rushing home to tell everyone what Jesus did today. And that mute man was telling the blind girl... Sorry, the mute man was telling the deaf man that he's leaving to answer God's call. And if it's hard to believe, well, you don't have to trust me, but go ask the blind man. He saw it all. It's like, what? Because the crippled man was running because he wasn't crippled anymore and the deaf man was able to talk to the, the mute, sorry, the mute man was able to talk to the deaf man who was able to hear him because they'd all been with Jesus. And the song is describing this very event. Imagine that. That multitude was very different than the way they came. They were very different. You, you wouldn't recognize some people because he, he's not crippled anymore and, and that one's speaking and I've never heard them utter a word and, 
And the deaf man's going, whoa, keep it down, will you keep it down? Because he can hear everything. Amazing. And it's out of all this, Jesus calls his disciples. And he says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. So I'm going to be putting all kinds of numbers up here. Now we're up to three. Three days. Does that make anyone think of anything? What do you think of straight away? Jesus, why? In the grave? So a resurrection? Oh, my goodness. Can someone spell that for me, please? I had very little sleep. <laughs> Have I, is it a U or a R? No, it is R-E-S-U-R-R. Okay, I think I'm right now. Thank you. Does that look good? Okay. Okay. Resurrection. They've been with me three days. Then his disciples said, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Fill. Three days. Resurrection. Fill. All right. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, how many? Come over here. Seven. All right. Seven loaves and a few fish. A few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks. The exact same Wording is what he did the night he was betrayed. He took the bread and he gave thanks. Exactly the same wording. I found that interesting. Broke them and gave them to his disciples. The disciples gave them to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. Wow. Okay. They were filled. And they took up. How much? Seven. Seven what? Baskets. And it says in my Bible, they took up seven large baskets. What's the next word? Full. Seven large baskets full. Of the fragments that were left. Okay. Are you ready for this? Pretty good. That word there, they took up seven large baskets full. Wouldn't you normally say they gathered up? If you collected, you're picking stuff up, right? No, took up. They took it. All right, this is where it gets exciting. In the Greek, took up is a hero, not a hero, a hero. <laughs> Sounds the same, right? Anyway, um, spelt different. It means to bear away, take away, carry off, lift up from the ground, remove, and take up. Isn't that amazing? We see the resurrection. 
in the baskets. They were taken up. How cool. They were literally carried away, carried off, lifted from the ground, removed from the earth and taken up. That is the literal translation. Now those, I'm in verse 38, now those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. We've got another number up here. Four. Oh, okay. I need to keep it consistent. Four. Okay. Now, two was I will come again. But there were 4,000 who participated in this. So what does this four represent? Really glad you asked. I'll, uh, I'll tell you. Okay, yeah, you're welcome. Right, so two is I will come again. What does the two represent? 2,000 years of the church age. The Bible says that a 1,000 years with the Lord is as a day, and a day is a 1,000 years. So this equals 2,000 years of the church age. So we've had, we're, we're sitting around there. We've been, the church has been in operation for at least 2,000 years. And then, what does the four represent? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. What, were, what was the description of all of these 4,000 people? They were all filled, right? Yeah. The number of four also represents the church age. Do you know how? Because from Adam to Abraham, there was about 2,000 years. From Abraham to Christ, another 2,000 years. How many am I up to? 4,000. Then what happened? The church was born. So the church also is represented in the number four. Remember Jesus came in the fullness of the time? He couldn't come between Adam and Abraham because the time wasn't full. He came after 4,000 years because the time was full. And then he says, in the fullness of times, I will come again and receive you to myself. Now, check this out. Let's go to um, Ephesians, not Ephesians, sorry. John 14. This is very exciting. How am I going for time? I wish I hadn't fixed that clock. Hmm. (laughs) John 14. All right. I need to pick up the pace a little bit. Okay, Uh, one to three, classic verse. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus says. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Look. The exact same wording. I will come again. 
and receive you to myself. Remember when they were full, they were lifted up, taken up. That where I am, there you may be also. This is such an amazing verse. I go to prepare a place for you so that I can come back for you and take you where I am. I'm really glad that he said that because I really want to see where he is. Anyone else sort of curious about all that? Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. What an amazing promise. Now, this is set, however, in the midst of Jesus starting to tell his disciples that he had to die and be buried and rise again and that he was going away. So even though for us, this is an amazing promise because he's saying, I will come again. And we're like, that's awesome because you know what? We haven't had him, have we, in the flesh? We're 2,000 years on. They've got him standing in front of them and Peter gets upset. They all get upset. What are you saying? What do you mean you're going to leave us? I don't want you to come again. I want you to stay. (laughs) Just don't go to start with. So Jesus begins to tell them some other truths about why he needs to go away. And he says this in chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus has to go away to prepare the bridal chamber. And he will come and bring us back. But in the meantime, he sent the helper, the Holy Spirit. Now this gets exciting. He also says in John 14, 16 to 18, And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Three times in these passages here, he says to his disciples, I will come, I will come, I will come. Now, if Jesus says something once, that's good enough. It's settled. It's a done deal. But if he says it three times... He wants us to have that assurance. I will come back for you. And in the meantime, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is our helper. I want to finish off with another thought for you of how the Holy Spirit helps us. And I I pray it helps you. Because I don't feel like I have even begun to enter in to all that the Holy Spirit actually wants to help me with. While I'm waiting for his return, let me, um, let me just take you to 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to finish here. I was going to say a guarantee just to, you know, use that word again. But anyway, 1 Corinthians. No, strange humor. 12. Okay. And I'm going to have a look quickly, briefly, at 1 to 11. Okay, so, back one. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. 
When I looked this up in the original Greek, it doesn't say concerning spiritual gifts. It says, now concerning spirit gifts. This isn't spiritual, it's a person. It's a gift from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is our helper. And here is one of the ways he wants to help us. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I made known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Okay, even if this was the only one we got to talk about today. This is incredible. Talk about a helper like no other. This is something the Holy Spirit, our helper, wants to give to us when we need it, is a word of wisdom. Now, I was saying to my sister um, on Friday when I was at her place, I said, I, always, I often get mixed up. Which one is the word of wisdom? Which one is the word of knowledge? And I started saying some stuff. And she said, oh, no, the word of wisdom is knowing what to do in a situation when you don't know, like knowing something you couldn't know about a situation, like how to go about it, wisdom beyond your natural knowledge. So, for example, you might be having conflict in your family and you, you try and say this and that gets taken the wrong way. So you, you try to come from this angle and that doesn't work. You, you need a word of wisdom so that you say the right thing in the right way at the right time, and it's exactly the way that person will receive it, and God can bring restoration. You might need a word of wisdom in all manner of areas. Uh, just a very simple little example was many years ago when I was working in a cafe on the Noosa River. Uh, I was the barista making coffees, and I ran out of chocolate powder in my little shaker that goes on top of the cappuccinos, the chocolate powder, Oh, no problem, I'll just fill it up. Oh, I could not get the lid undone. It was stainless steel and it had that much chocolate powder in it, it was stuck. So, no worries, get the big burly cook, he'll, he'll loosen it for me. Nobody, nobody in the whole store could loosen this lid. And I was like, oh. And I straight away get a word of wisdom. Stick it in the freezer. Well, no time to question. Stuck it in the freezer. I came back five minutes later because it contracted, because it was cold. Now, I couldn't think of that when I'm flustered. But a word of wisdom. Now, that's just a little thing, but it blessed me all day. I thought, man, God even cares about my chocolate powder. This is awesome. I think it's that he cared about me and my stress levels. So he helped me with my chocolate powder. But, you know, we often, and the way of doing things is usually always opposite to the way our flesh wants to do it. So this is where he wants to be our helper. He wants to help us with a word of wisdom. Even at school just recently, I had an incident where 
this kid was really annoying me day after day and finally I was like today I'm going to tell him what I think and the Holy Spirit my wonderful helper said don't do that I said you ain't annoyed like I am I'm having my say (laughs) and I did and I found out I jumped to all the wrong conclusions and then I had to apologize and went oh should have taken the help (laughs) should have listened He can give you a word of wisdom. Absolutely amazing. A word of knowledge. That's what I operated in this morning. When you know something that you can't know. Some people have actually received the Lord through a word of knowledge. I remember one pastor talking, he operates in this gift. And he had an antagonistic reporter. Wanted to interview him. Didn't like God. Didn't like his ministry. Was out to get him. And he came into the interview room and he looked at him and he had a word of knowledge. And he said, how long have you had that sore shoulder for? He said, how do you know about that? He said, oh, it must be very painful. Would you like me to pray for you? He said, but how do you know about that? He prayed for him. God healed him instantly. And it was a very different report. (laughs) Amazing. He's our helper. Thank you, Jesus. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, to know things you wouldn't normally know. I know my dear mum had many times that she received healing through a word of knowledge. I remember once we were in a tent meeting and my mum had severe carpal tunnel and her hands were like this. She was waiting on two operations. And it was during the worship and and the guest minister got up and he said, there's someone here and you, you can't, You've got pain in your hands. You can't extend your hands. He said, the Lord wants to heal you. He said, just raise your hands and put your hands out like that, which was impossible for my mum. He said, and the Lord will heal you. My mum went, that's me. Instantly received a healing, just like that. I remember another time with my mum. She needed healing of her foot. She'd been in a car accident. Her leg was all smashed up. And it was just in a, a home group, a life group. And a gentleman was there. He went to pray for my mum. He got his hand about this close to her head and he said, I can't pray for you. There's unforgiveness in your heart. And my mum said, yes. It's my (laughs) brother-in-law. So she, she started to work through that. Finally, he went to pray for her again. He said, sister, I can't pray for you. There's still unforgiveness in your heart. She said, yes, and it's his mother. (laughs) So... Had to deal with that. Finally, he was able to pray for her. That's a word of knowledge. He couldn't have known that. The Holy Spirit is the helper. You see, he wants to get to the bottom of the issue so he can help you receive. And then it goes on. A gift of faith. Sometimes you will receive a faith that is not your own to do what needs to be done. It's a gift. I had that. I know it's just going to sound weird, but my cat's are like, they're part of the family, much to Jeremy's disgust, but they're part of the family. And before we had children, they were the kids, these cats. And one of them went missing. And I prayed and I prayed. Then the second one went missing. And that was it. It was like a gift of faith came to me. I said, no, no, they're both coming back. And my husband, trying to be a good man to me, said, darling, I don't want you to be disappointed. 
Yes, they could come back, but you maybe need to think about what would happen if they didn't and how you could move on. And I said, no, they're coming back. Three weeks later, now. <laughs> it, it was a supernatural gift of faith at the time, something that God put in my heart to say, yes, I'm going to do that. And I was able to hang on no matter what. Every single day I went and looked for those cats until I found them. All right, gift of faith, there's gifts of healings, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits. I really believe that's a big one. Um, We're going to need that gift from the Lord. Different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individual as he wills. He's our helper And that's just some of the gifts he wants us to be able to flow in while we're waiting for that beautiful promise we read in Ephesians, that one day in the fullness of times, which I don't believe is very far away, he will gather us together, he will come back again. But until then, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We need to move in the Holy Spirit, allow him to help us in everyday life and everything, help you with your families, help you with your jobs, help you with everything. Would you stand to your feet with me today? We always like to give an opportunity for people, if they have never received Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, that they can receive him. You may have done that in this room, but there's many watching online. And maybe you're thinking, me with all my weird numbers and stuff I've said, maybe you haven't understood much of it. But I can tell you this. The Bible says that everybody, all of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we've all fallen short of God's standard of perfection. No matter how good you might think you live your life, everyone has a wage of sin that equals death. But as Pete read to us earlier today, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The simple ABC of the gospel is admit, admit you're a sinner. Admit you need a saviour. B is believe. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And C is call, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Commit your life to him. I would love to pray with you today. If you'd love to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you'd like to forsake all else and follow him, then I want to lead you in a prayer. So why don't we bow our heads and feel free to say this with me. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sin. I turn to you. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I believe he died, was buried, and rose again for my sins. And I believe he's coming back again for me. Take my life, Lord. Wash me clean and receive me into your family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, here's a thought I heard someone, uh, Pastor J.D. Farag say this week and I absolutely loved it. He talked about that moment that he gave his life to Jesus and he said, you know, I gave my life to Jesus but the most amazing thing was that he took it. 
<laughs> I love that. Isn't that good? We've all been broken. And it is amazing that he took us. He decided, you know, he said if he could imagine the angels up there going, oh, you don't want that one. <laughs> Do you know what you're getting yourself in for? But he took us, hey? Isn't it amazing? Let me pray God's blessing. Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you, Lord, that you want to fill us with all the fullness of God so that we can be part of this great harvest when you come for us. Lord, I pray that each and every one under the sound of my voice would be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, that, Father, they would walk in your power and your might and that they would receive the gifts that you want to give them when they need it, Lord, that, Lord, those gifts could operate in their life and that you would be their greatest help. Father, change us and keep us close to Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. And amen. Well, have a great week. Thank you for your continued prayer.